listeners, hello followers, welcome to Mentally Sound's Life in Lockdown podcast series. This is episode 78. My name is Ricky Thurman and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and at substance about everything and anything to do with mental health. So on that basis, as a disclaimer, we do urge you to go and see your GP, your crisis centre, therapist, if you find the topics of our discussion quite distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a radio show, that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we adapted to podcast medium for the meantime, during and post-lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's fantastic community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at spicefm.co.uk. And we're on air on Tuesdays at 1pm and repeated on Saturdays at 3pm. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signposted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spicefm.co.uk or get in touch via the social media where I have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter we're at underscore mentally sound, on Instagram we're at mentally sound radio and on Facebook it's Mentally Sound Radio Show, and on our Facebook header page, you'll find the links to all our updated archives to all our shows and all our podcasts, with all the relevant topics listed underneath. We're also on the relevant podcast platforms. Find Mentally Sound on Clips, spelled C-L-Y-P, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Breaker, and Apple Podcasts. And on the show this week, my guest is our resident therapist, Amir Mirzah. And this was recorded at the beginning of February, so things might seem a few weeks later or out of date, but um, most of the stuff we talk about is still very relevant. And we talk about things like child poverty in the Northeast, levelling up, vaccines, booster programme, the new year, albeit a belated new year, as this is the first time I saw Amir since the new year and Christmas. Also issues to do with the West End new exercise and routines for the new year. And Amy also will be giving out advice and tips of how we look forward to the next few months. So without further ado, hope you enjoy the show. Thanks very much. Welcome everybody. This is episode 78, and we're back at the Kaiba Cafe. And as I alluded to in the last episode, that maybe on the next one, we'll catch up with our resident therapist. And here he sits before me. It's Amir Mirza. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Ricky. And good evening, listeners. Lovely to be back. And I must apologize, because um, I'm sounding a little bit hoarse. I'm uh, getting through a call. It's one of the worst ones I've had. It's gone by the best part of a week now. Usually it's gone by a couple of days. I took a lateral flow just earlier. Thankfully, um, I'm negative. But um, yeah, I'm on the mend, hopefully. And I'll get back to running next week because, uh, as uh, listeners know, running is one of my well-being practices. So I seem to get injury after injury. I can't catch a break now. But um, uh, I probably shouldn't talk too much about it because I don't want to test fit again. But fingers crossed for next week. I'm here. So how you been last few days? Um... We, we were meant to record a show for the new year. Let's pretend it's still January. 
<laughs> and we can, I mean, it's difficult to remember what year it is, isn't it? Yeah, then, yeah, what yeah, month? Yeah, yeah. I think it's January the 74th. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, how how was Christmas? How was New Year? How did all that go for you? It was all right. It was just, I mean, you know, really quiet. I had got the opportunity to visit friends, um, you know, travel around, went to London, went to Oxford, and that. So it was just really nice. Oh, caught up with family. You got family down in Oxford, have you? No, no, no. It was friends, friends, friends and yeah. family. So I caught up with family in Newcastle. It was just one of those type of things, really. So. Oxford's one of those classic English cities with all the kind of niche architecture and all that. Did you um, sample? I, did, I, I didn't go there, but it was just outside. It's one of the little villages, you know, these little these uh, chocolate box cottages and oh, things like yeah. that, you know, with the thatched roofs. Right. It was just one of those beautiful little places. So just sort of chill out. mansion type ones? Or like yeah, yeah, not just cottages. Cottages, right. With the thatched roofs and that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Beautiful, yeah. Awesome. Well-being wise, everything all right? Last few weeks, um, I know you were telling me before we hit the record button that you're back to your gym routines and everything. And I am, yeah, I feel good with that now, Ricky. Uh, normal, just work. I think it's strange. It's I, I, I go to work on a Monday. Yeah, we're really busy. Uh, before I know it, it's Friday. Yeah. And I think, wow, where did the week go? Exactly. And then next thing, I'm sitting in my chair and thinking, wow, it's seven o'clock on a Sunday evening. Yeah. I find the weeks have flown by. I'm, I'm yeah. surprised it's February already. But I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, just getting the whole, all, you know, getting over Christmas and New Year. I think we talked a lot about, you know, the family pressures to do with Christmas and New Year, the whole mm. festive view. And already we're well into, well into the New Year, and already I've been seeing in the shops. All the chocolate Easter eggs already up for sale. And Valentine's Day Valentine's coming Day up as well. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that is that something to? Is that a kind of a? You know, in terms of our mental well-being, is that something that we how how a person um, goes through time? I mean, is it is it a good is it generally a good thing that we notice things going by very quickly, or is it maybe something else going on there that maybe we're just trying to race through everything as a way of means of getting through, given that we've been through the last couple of years and what it's been, yeah, you know? I don't, I, it, it's not racing through everything, because, you know, for myself, the hours of work are the same every day, yeah. and I do the same amount of work. Mm -hmm. So I'm not racing through everything. You know, as you know, with some work, you're always catching up, but no, I'm not racing up. It's just how one day, mel you know, melds into the next one. Yeah. That seems to be the pattern. I've just become more aware of it lately. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, fit in what you can. I guess I'm also thinking the stereotype that, you know, when we enjoy things, they tend to go quite fast. Yeah. Whenever we go through very tough things, yeah. it's always kind of it's seen through the prism of, oh, this is going to be a long long hard because tenuous we're, we're, day, week whatever we're more focused on it aren't we Ricky when yeah. we're going through bad things or you know we're, we're, we're fixated on that yeah. we're ruminating over that day and night mm -hmm. whereas when it's good you, you're relaxed you unwind you sleep well yeah. you know and that is it what more yeah. do you want yeah. um, regarding the year you know how we see well not 12 months now but the next 11 months mm -hmm. so yeah I mean how do you how does one look to the next uh, 11 or so months given what we've gone through in the next two years can we look with more optimism or can we are we kind of like looking in fear you know given you know another strain means another kind of set of circumstances where we you know might be in fear of more restrictions I don't, I don't, I think I don't think there's a fear of restrictions it's just a general feeling of uh, melancholy isn't it you know we seem to be living in that 
So we, it, it, it would be a case of if we got another lockdown, it would just be a case of, oh, bloody hell, not again. You know, I mean, even the last time when we thought we were going to go into lockdown, it didn't happen. The numbers escalated massively and uh, we didn't go into lockdown. But then people were, whether we were prepared or not, you know, that was an opinion. What we had to do, it had to be done. But we were fortunate that we didn't go into it and the numbers sort of dropped down. So it's with us to stay, isn't it? Yeah. It's there. It's, it's yeah. ubiquitous in everything we do. You know, it's a part of our lives now. So stay safe and protect Do you think the own. whole kind of booster campaign at the beginning of the year played a large part in, in restrictions being very limited? Um, and, you know, the, we'll get on to politics, politics a little bit later because, of course, that's been flared up again. Um, but I think... The booster thing was generally a good thing, wasn't it? It's kind of like... It's... I mean, I've had my booster. It gave people the springboard into the new year and let them get on with things and... You would like to think so. Yeah. I mean, it's still too early to yeah. tell. You know, we haven't got enough data. Data on these normally take years. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're, they're... So the data isn't going to be as clear. Infections are still getting at an alarming rate every year. Yeah, they are very high. Uh, and, you know, the people who or susceptible or vulnerable or still, yeah. you know, in a precarious position if they catch it. But I think it's, it's as they say, it's, it's, it's still too early. I think the, to comment on it would be wrong. You know, viruses mutate. That is their job. That's what they do. You know, they get the, you know, the, 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 the virus that we might have in 10 years of COVID might be totally different to the one we, the original one we got. They've got another um, sub Omicron now, yeah. haven't they, as yeah. well, coming through, which is more contagious. But, you know, it's we're, we're on the cusp. I don't want to say it's just flu because too many people have died. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. wrong to say that. Yeah. Um, and that's, you have to take into account that that's with the technology we have to save people's lives. Yeah. We've, we've advanced so much in the last 100 years. I mean, you know, since the Spanish flu, the last 90 years. So we've advanced so much, and we still weren't able to save hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know if you saw, but um, a lot of the naysayers have put out um, in the media that apparently data suggests that lockdown was um, um, contradictory to to um, people's sort of death rates and stuff. That actually, made it worse in regards to Kelms. Did you see that? No, thinking, but we're not, we're not going to know that, are we? No, uh, not at know, this stage. Yet. No, it's it's too early to tell too early to tell you know and I think that you know the people who survived are friends who have died about friends who survived um, you know and it's it's going on to their mental health it's what it triggers with them yeah. you know I had a friend of mine he went and got his booster job and he was in hospital for 12 days critical at times after the booster before. no before the before. booster last year mm-hmm. and he got the booster a couple of months ago and he called me the next day and he said he said, I haven't slept all night. He said, because the feelings that I got from my booster all night, I just couldn't sleep. I thought I was ba- I was going to end up in hospital. And he, knew, right. he said, I knew it was silly, but he reacted to it like a lot of people have. Right. And uh, so that's the knock-on effect of it as well, isn't it? You know, I mean, you know, the mental side and the physical, long COVID, everything else. Yeah. And as you know, anything that affects the lungs is very debilitating because it's going to cause fatigue and everything else. That's what happens, you know, with that. So it's, it, it, you've got to take time with it, really. And I, and I don't really like the comment in a sense. You know, I'm not, if you want to get the, if you want to get the uh, vaccinations, get them. If you don't, it's, it's, it's a choice, isn't it? I'm going to say it's good for you, bad for you. But 
I've been fortunate that I've actually had any side effects. You know? I think we'll get on to that because that's a really important point. Um, because I know that a lot of the healthcare staff, there's been a lot of demonstration recently about the main mandatory and stuff. Yeah. So, but I want to go back to an earlier point you made because I think it's quite crucial about there's still vulnerable people out there who I think their voices have been a little bit forgotten. Yeah. Given your Given your job title, you work with a lot of uh, you know children and children's mental health. Are we looking at it from a children's point of view as well? That a lot of them got sort of very vulnerable and they feel a little bit apprehensive about you know society getting back to what it was a little bit, and they're feeling a little bit left behind. Their their experiences have been more close at the home, so it's what's been happening in the house that's affected their mental health. So you've had some parents telling their children to do this, this and this and using it very lightly without real substance that they could die if their children didn't do this and this and so that's emerging a lot where children are you know, uh, convinced that if they don't do this their parents will die and that's yeah. a horrific thing for a, you know, a seven, eight year old to be thinking that their parents have said that because of their views on COVID so you know, it's a real mess at the moment I think we've got a lot to unravel and uh, work through. And what's the sort of like, since you've been back in the work in the new year, um, what's the sort of noticeable patterns that you've seen amongst some of the people that you work with? What are their kind of concerns? And I mean, I've had to work um, in a systemic way, so that means, you know, rather than just with children, I've had to work with the parents as well yeah. to, 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 to bring them together because there's a lot of dynamics going on there, a lot of threads, so it's not just a case of working with a child who... Yeah has uh, gone through a certain experience or a negative experience. It's a fact that you've got to get an understanding of what's happening at home. I mean, there's a lot of kids getting referred because they're being victims of or they've witnessed domestic violence, yeah. as we spoke about yeah. on one of our yeah. previous shows. Yeah. You know, the rise in domestic violence. So those are all starting to come now, you know. And there's going to be a lot more, unfortunately, you know. But there is help out there. That's really interesting. So, um... Going back to, um, we, we touched on child mental health. A couple of days ago, it came out that um, figures are actually bigger than what we previously anticipated on you. But given what you just said, it, it's not a surprise to me. Would you agree on that, that the, the, the sort of national authorities have kind of underestimated just how big an issue it is? And I think in the context of the kind of backlog that the NHS and charities and other organisations have to have to deal with, because um, of course mental health is also a spin from you know a lot of physical illnesses. I mean, people with cancer backlogs imagine the stresses and the things yeah. they've gone through. Mm -hmm. So, I guess from your point of view, you're not surprised that it's bigger than what we all think. Then it isn't going to be. I mean, imagine even as an adult, or you know, as an adult, all we saw day in day out. Yeah conferences and figures of people dying. That was every day in our homes. In the, every bit of news he turned on, how many people died here today, how many died around the world. We've been surrounded by death. It's, it's been an environment of loss for the last two years. So imagine how that's affected children. Children don't ask questions. That's what people don't understand when, when what children are trying to do is they actually instinctively are trying to protect the parents. That is what happens with children with bereavement and that they it, it, the, the pattern is the parents are trying to protect them 
the children, uh, you know, displaying their, 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 their emotions physically, but and then it, they transpire as they're doing it because they don't want to upset the parents and they don't want to lose that parent. You know? It's amazing how that kind of protective nature hits. Yeah. It's a With a five-year-old. Yeah. A five-year-old wants yeah. to protect the parent. Yeah, yeah. You know? Is that related to is that an offshoot from trauma? You think is that like a kind of a? It's, it's related to because it's very visual. The, the children's worlds are very visual and physical, and um, what, what it's what they see, yeah, and what they feel. So if they see everybody upset around them because a family member's died, they respond to that rather than understanding death. They respond to that, so they don't want to see their loved ones upset. That's really fascinating because, in a way, we're also under underestimating just what a child, you know, their their actions amongst the the, the trauma. Absolutely amazing, Ricky. Yeah. You know, some of the children I work with and what they come out with and the extent they go to let their parents know. So what I do is I encourage dialogue within the therapy room. Their parents will come and they'll hear the children see all this, but they haven't heard it because yeah. oh, our children are not feeling well. They're playing up. They're getting angry. They're doing this. So and it's 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 a thing of just saying to them, have you spoke to them? Well, no, what do I say? Okay, sit down. This is what you say in front of the child. And the child is just very cathartic and lets everything out. It's, it's amazing, amazing to watch. Another thing that I know through my own experience and, and research with trauma is this thing about survivor's guilt. And I was wondering, do do children go through that element as well? Do you they feel can, that, you can. You know, I've lost someone in my family through this awful disease and I'm worried... I feel guilty for still being here? Do, do, do children go through that? It's dependent on their age. The younger children only see the grief around them, what they physically see, what they witness. The they don't have the connection between, they have a connection between the person's gone, but you have to develop with them and walk through the process of grief that the person isn't going to come back. Yeah. yeah. So with children, they'll compromise, they've gone to heaven, things like that. But, when they get older, it can be, but they don't, you know, it, it's not a guilt. It's a guilt for the survivors. They don't want them to die. The people that are alive, you know, they're primary carers, you know. And I guess with not just the parents, but I guess with like other siblings and maybe extended family as well, does it stretch that far? Other siblings, no. Other siblings, uh, all the siblings respond differently to the trauma, to the loss of a parent. Yeah. Uh, or a family member, all of them respond in a totally different way. So it's difficult for parents to tell because one might go quiet, the other one might cry a lot, the other one might be very angry. No, but they're responding to the same stimulus. That is their response. Yeah. You know, and like I said, it's dependent on age. They, 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 it's not the survivor's guilt. There's probably a survivor's fear that their primary carers are gonna, you know, they're gonna lose them. Well, that's really interesting, really fascinating, I mean, I mean um, this is one of the things I always look forward to when I chat to you, because given your line of work, I'm always uh, really fascinated by, um, you know, as we say, out of the mouth of babes. It's, yep. it's fascinating what, what they come out with. Um, ne never ceases to amaze me. So, going through a bit of a gear change now, um, we try to, we're always careful when we talk about politics on this show, but... There's a lot of it around now, unsurprisingly. Um, let's just say that certain people who made the rules, which we all had to adhere to for the best part of two years, turns out that they haven't been <laughs> following them themselves. Now, I was just curious from your point of view, um, how does that... I mean, going back to the, the, the word guilt, 
because I know that a lot of people's testimonies which I've listened to on the news and radio you know they've had to say goodbye or they never had the chance to say a proper goodbye to direct relatives and they're, they're now coming out and saying I feel guilty that I never got to do it properly because certain people over there yeah were, were either jollying it away or maybe they did get to say goodbye maybe in a proper way that we couldn't so my first question to you is are their feelings justified for feeling that way given what the relevations have revealed yeah, they are and, and you know I've got to remember that this is a family radio station and I can't use expletives yeah. but I mean yes of course they are you know they lead by example but I think you know if you want to talk in a political way they've they've the, the current government have always done what they've, they've wanted. And, you know, they're, they're a classic example of the class divide. Yeah. You know, that's how they, they that's how they ran politics. Yeah. So, you know, they, they're fully entitled to who these people are because they they haven't had a chance to process their grief. You know, the, 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 the time is, look at, look at times of war. A war ends and then we can process the grief. Yeah. This... Covid pandemic has never ended. The constant reminders yeah. of what's going on, this yeah. anger, confusion, with with how we responded. Did you know? F at first, we didn't respond quickly enough when we had a choice, uh, and then we responded too quickly. So, I mean, and imagine no, for a lot of people that grief probably hasn't even started yet. No, yeah. no, it's difficult. You know, my auntie died of uh, Covid there uh, last week uh, in oh, Glasgow, sorry. but she was ill in hospital. But um, yeah, and, and you know she was she was old, she was old. But the thing is, they they have a DNR, don't they? Do not resuscitate when you're over eighty, I believe it is, isn't it? Or seventy five? Think so, yeah. Yeah, they have a DNR. She was eighty one, and and it's processing that. But then you get a guilt of you know you know there's a common theme, isn't it? Saying like you know oh this has happened to me, and then sometimes people compare it to oh well it could be a lot worse, you know there's. You know, the parents used to use, you know, there's children starving in Africa, you know, if you're not eating your food. Yeah. But those comparables and that, we sort of grow up with that. But there isn't a comparable to this. What are, we, what are we saying? Are we saying, my grief is worth less than yours? Yeah, sure. You know, you can't bargain with grief. Sure. You know, it's not up for bartering. Sure. You've lost a loved one and that's it. It's what it means to you, not to anybody else. And this is a platform now, of course, the press dig it up to, to let the government know what it's up. They know what happened. The, 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 the part is, when they play dumb, it's, that surprises me. When the politicians play dumb, oh, I didn't know. Well, you set the rules. Yeah. I mean, some of the excuses have been come, come out quite laughable. We've had, we've had, um, we've had uh, quotations of, like, ambushed by cake. I never knew it was a party. I don't know what the difference is between a, a work gathering and a party. Yeah. I mean, it just makes it all laughable, really, doesn't it's it? It's a mockery, isn't it? Yeah. And how do how and that just strengthens people's anger about it all, doesn't it? It's a mockery and it's disrespectful to all the people that have died. You know, even the politicians on your own party turned around and and have said it to him. So, you know, it's listen. This is politics. You know, politics has never really been clean. When has it ever been clean? But now we have more access to it. You know, thirty years ago we didn't. We didn't know what they were talking about in Parliament. We didn't get that beamed into our houses. Yeah. You know, but now we now we hear everything. The power of press, the internet, you know, everything. We've got access to a lot more. And it can be quite uh, overwhelming at times, can't it? You know. You know, I'm a big advocate of from as as I'm sure you are as well, in terms of listening to the victims and 
So one particular group I listen to is the COVID Bereaved Families for Justice. And I think they've been, since this all began, they've been really consistent with, you know, making their voices heard. You know, they, they've had their hearts painted on the walls on South Bank, That's I believe, on, on South the Thames, Bank, yeah. yeah. And since these revelations that came out, I mean, boy, have they been showed their anger. I mean, to the point where whenever these politicians come on camera, some of them even smirk. Yeah. And he, I would be angry with that. I mean, what gives them the right to even smirk in this context? I mean, be serious, show compassion, show empathy. And I know when all this comes out in the wash, I mean, there's probably going to be... We're, we're probably only just t dealing with the tip of the iceberg. But, you know, when we talk, we think about grief, one of the most famous bit of grief we went we, we saw on TV was with the Queen yeah. sat alone. Yeah. As she, you know, other myth, you know, yeah, and I don't think you have to be a royalist necessarily no, to no, feel no, that. No, I'm no, no royalist. That was, I mean, that was that was an example. That of was what hugely symbolic was picture, wasn't it? It was very symbolic, and it was it was an example of what was actually going on. Yeah, and to find out everyone. that on the eve yeah. of that day, they had a party, and not only that, they actually snuck out with suitcases, yeah. sneaking back with bottles of wine. I mean, yeah, but can I just say something? Yeah. The police involvement. They're only going to get penalty fines, fixed penalty notices. Yeah. That's what they're going to get. You would think that even the police being involved in the first place was enough to people consider, you know, their positions. You see, the thing is this: you got to look at the legal side. If they have had a party, uh, they don't. This is this is a bigger political move, which people haven't noticed. So the police are involved because if they have had a party which was unlawful and they haven't got fined, it sets the presidents. Yeah. Everybody else who's been fined can then claim their fine back. Yeah. So they're going to have to find them just to reinforce the law so they don't have to claim the, the millions that people have already paid out. Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a financial move. It's, it's, you know, it's a very underhanded political thing. They're not, they're not even bothered about it, but this is what's going on. It's a strategic move. It's not them getting justice. You know, if you've paid a penalty fence, well, hold on, they didn't. Oh, they had a part. Well, mine wasn't a part. It was a work meeting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want my money back. Exactly. And that's it. Opens up the floodgates. The courts can't handle it. So my next question is, and I think I've asked a similar one in the past, is um, if, God forbid, there's another big variant and it's causing all sorts of problems and there's going to be new restrictions introduced, you know what's going to happen, don't you? says, well, hang on a minute. When this was all kicking off a year or two ago, we know what you guys were, were up to. Yeah. What gives you the right to expect us to do the same this time round? So then you kind of got a, all sorts of problems there. I mean, where does that leave us then? As a, a collective is how we go through another... People react in, as, as a collective, they're lacking a, they react in different ways as individuals. You know, as a, as a collective, you can get a mob rule, you can do anything yeah. in that way. Yeah. You know, they're more fired up. I mean, my personal thoughts, or I've just looked after myself, not in a selfish way, but in the fact that, you know, I, the rules that are followed are to protect myself, not anything about the government. Well, even when you look after others, you've got to look after yourself as well. No, but this, is what, I, the, yeah. this is what I'm saying, you know, yeah. so my answer to that's a difficult one is, you know, what's going to happen is, at the end of the day, if there's a, there's a big pandemic going on over there, you know, and uh, there's a chance that it kill you, um, what am I going to do? I'm going to protect myself. Not because the government tells me, or they don't. Because yeah. even in the last lockdown, yeah. I was still going off for seven, eight mile walks. I never got stopped. I was working. 
for about six weeks into the first lockdown and then stopped and, and that's what I did. Yeah. But I kept away from people, you know, yeah. because I've got vulnerable family members. Mm -hmm. So we got a look at it logically. Mm -hmm. What are we gonna do? Well, you know, if, if, I, if I tell you, or not to go in that body of water because he'll die, or well, the politicians were swimming in it last week, I'm gonna go in it. Yeah. You see, it's, it's, you're in conflict, aren't you? You can't win at this one. I would suggest as well that to, to the public, given what we've learned very recently, and given what we've all had to do ourselves and for our fellow human beings, mm. it's more credit to ourselves as a public. I'm almost like I want to shout a scoreline, you know, public one, politician zero, because we we did it properly. We, yeah. we as a collective, we saved lives. Yes, you guys said it what we had to do, but you you guys actually didn't do what you set out. So it was individuals who. I'm not did. meaning to score points here, but no. it's kind of how I feel at the moment. You see, it was individuals who did what they had to do, which made them a collective. It yeah. wasn't a collective that did it. People, you know, I'd say I'd say that uh, that's what they did. People, but people did it individually. I guess in a collective kind of makes it a kind of a collective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, then you have the opposition as well. But you know, the other the the other point you'd mentioned earlier as well, before we were talking about about you know people getting vaccinated. Now, I'm all pro-choice. You know, I've had my vaccinations. I got family members who haven't, and they don't want them. But that's great. That's fine. And at first, I agreed with it because that was a choice that was offered, wasn't it? Right at the beginning. Yeah. If you want them, you can have them. If you don't, you don't. Now. Yeah people getting you know kicked out of jobs losing their jobs everything else mm -hmm. that is wrong yeah that isn't a choice so what's basically being said is i never really had a choice you know well on that note i mean that leads us very nicely to the end of part one so i think we've left some hints about what the next part there regarding mandatory jobs and everything so uh, we're going to tuck in some some nice desserts here people so join us again for part two thank you Cheers. Back again in the Kyber Cafe, our therapist Amir Mirza sits before me once again. Um, before Amir, you alluded to about that we're living in a very funny, very worrying um, atmosphere right now. Um, recently we've seen sort of healthcare staff protest against mandatory jabs. We know especially around care homes, families are wary obviously about family members and you know carers around them being unvaccinated. But, you're a big believer in choice, aren't you? You're advocate for choice, you were telling me before. Um, just clarify where what you mean by that and what, what you think it means for the immediate future. Well, I think if we look back to it, I know the, the, the uh, landscape has changed, but you know, not going back too far, we were given a choice to get the vaccinations and then the choice was taken away. And um, you know, as I said, I'm vaccinated, but I do stand with those people who choose not to get vaccinated. You know, they're... And it, NHS workers, care workers, even the doctors, you know, and, and I will stand in line and protest with them, even though I've had all my vaccines, I've had my booster, because I think originally we all had a choice and now even that's been removed and I don't think people should be ostracised, demonised, lose their work, their livelihood, because they're getting forced to take a vaccine. That's their choice. Do you think, because um, obviously the, the thing that's flung at them constantly 
and they, they would d describe them as being maybe selfish. Do you think there's an aspect of selfishness or fear? I think, I think with fear, there's more... You're more, I mean, you're more sympathetic to fear, aren't you, rather than being selfish? But I think it's just a judgment, Ricky. You know, the, uh, it's, it's the passing judgments on people's where they're taking away a choice, mm -hmm. uh, you know, demonising them. And that happens, that's happened in a lot of countries in the past, which I'm not, you know, I'm not over-exaggerating this way, but where it's developing genocide. Mm -hmm. You know, even the Rwanda genocide, that was, they turned round, and the guy that they just caught, actually, last year, mm -hmm. I forgot his name escapes me, he had his own radio station and told, was telling everybody, I believe it was the Houthis, or going to kill your children. And he bought nearly a million machetes into the country, bought them and give them to the other side and they chopped everyone. Do you think, um, going back to the earlier point, because one of the fears as well, I guess, um, and, you're, and you're kind of like sympathising with those, with wanting that choice, the, the potential is, as it's been said, is this two-tier system society. Is that the potential where we could head? And how dangerous could could a system be? Because um, as I say, we were all talking about all being collected before, but that's virtually impossible, isn't it, if we're living in a supposed two-tier system? where some people have more rights than others because they've had a job and others haven't sort of thing. And that's it, isn't it? And that's the danger, you know. Um, we're supposed to be democratic. And, you know, we voted this government in, but it seems to be we don't have a choice in what they do or the decisions that they make, you know. It's, but the other thing you've got to look at is, you know, in every decision you make, 50% of the people are going to be happy and the other 50% are not. Yeah. That is what happens with decisions. It's yeah. a flick of a coin, isn't it? And the coin's always two-sided. Yeah. Alongside the two-tier system thing is it also kind of like an illustration of where we are, where we're at now with society. Um, people going about this whole, whole council culture thing. Um, and I don't know if you're aware, but currently there's a guy in America, a, pod, a popular podcast host, not me, but a guy by the name of Joe Rogan, who has kind of said, apparently, I've not listened to his show, but he, he basically holds, I think, anti-vaccine views. And the whole Spotify platform, which its medley sound is on as well. So you've had these artists like Neil Young, uh, Joni Mitchell, some of the classic ones, yeah. who kind of said, well, we, we want to be off this thing. I mean, that's already... He, is that an illustration? He, he, he doesn't hold... He, he's not you are an, aware of that story. He's not you? an anti-vaxxer. What he basically is, he interviewed people that were anti-vaxxers, so he lent them a little bit more airtime. He's even actually said officially he's not an anti-vaxxer. He's not against vaccines, but... But there's a danger of creating a platform for those views, potentially? Well, he has. I mean, that's that's why they've disagreed with him, you know, in a sense. They've said you've created a platform by getting people on who are anti-vaxxers. So, you know, I only get... If you only interview people who like chocolate cake, then, you know, it makes your show about chocolate cake, doesn't it? And, that, and that's the thing going on with Joe Rogan. But he has denied. He said he's not an anti-vaxxer. Okay. You know. I've never listened to him myself before, but um, yeah, that's sort of where we are at the moment. One thing, or another, another kind of a gear change, I mean, I mean related to the whole politics thing, um, I think one of, the, one of the issues of what the government's trying to claw back in terms of trying to gain respect is reverting back to one of their policy... Um, within the kind of manifesto from the last election, this whole thing called levelling up. Yeah. And and I'm sure you're aware, um, I know I'm aware, 
Um, I think in previous times they've, they've had these policies called the Northern Powerhouse, a means to leveling things up, you know. But as you as you and I know, the, this region does have various challenges, and it's, it's a feeling that it's not it's been neglected, it's not been addressed. Um, things like poverty, we know how much that plays into mental health. We're currently going through a cost of living crisis, and I'm really wary about this year. I understand there's a nationwide demos coming across later this month um, because it's going to plunge a lot of people more into um, debts and poverty. I mean, where's your feeling on that? Um, given your role as well, that you work with vulnerable children. All right, you got. Let's go back to what you originally said about levelling up. Levelling up was the original manifesto was supposed to be implemented by 2025. Now they brought up levelling up just after being getting caught by all these parties and it is it, it is front page news that is at the forefront. We're gonna help all the people, you know, address poverty, but the deadline now is twenty thirty. Yeah. Okay, so they've extended it by another eight years. Did they use COVID as an excuse for extension at all? No, just they haven't mentioned that. Okay. No, the, I think the, the, the real reasons behind it is the negative press they've got. Okay. Oh, let's turn towards the poor people and tell them we're going to do this for you in eight years' time. Yeah. But the problem they've got is, if then a Labour government or another party wins the election and they don't get in, then all they're going to turn on is blame them for not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is politics. You know? It's that thing as well, I've noticed, that whenever it comes to funding for projects within regions, it becomes right. a bit like a tennis match where... A local government will say, well, hang on, you, as in the government, haven't given enough, us enough money to deal with our problems. And the government will say, well, we'll give it, we've allocated you this much, it's up to you how you spend it. And then that's the kind of to-and-throw match that we end up with, and it just becomes a big thing again. I mean, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because the Northeast, um, I think it's the Child Poverty Commission, a lot of posts which I share on Mentally Sound's Facebook page, mm -hmm. The, the go-to area which they always pinpoint to is child poverty because yeah. you think there's that as a base of where the problems lie and of course that very much touches in your area. Yeah, but how do you, do you know how you solve child poverty? Well, that was going to be my question. What, okay. where, where do you see potential solving, solutions over the horizon? Solving adult poverty. Right. You know, the adults need the support to support their children. The child poverty is an extension of what's happening within the families. Right. Children don't live on their own and not yeah. feed themselves. It's the parents. Yeah. You know, so it's it's they need the support to support their children. You know, particularly like specific parent parental kind of support we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, you know, like they, well, welfare and. I think it needs to be grassroots projects. I think you know, I, I would like to see in specific areas money invested in those because you know you get Newcastle City Council say they turn around and say oh we've got this bad pocket of area in any any whatever mm -hmm. let's direct a lot more money at that because we've got the affluent ones but yeah. it doesn't work like that mm -hmm. you know if you travel around some of these areas you know these poor areas the streets are a mess everything is a mess yeah. and it's not going by anything it's you go to the more affluent areas you won't even find a bit of paper yeah, on the yeah, ground exactly, exactly so where does it start i'll tell you where it starts right it starts with the local governments all right not you know the central government Give them the money, the local government is, you know, they, the local councils need to address this in a way, rather than what they did back in the 50s, 60s, create these little estates where they put all the poor families in and let them live in any room in these concrete jungles, which they're all starting to knock down in London now because they're worth so much. So this is what happened in these areas. Bring up these areas. 
we used to have a lot of regeneration here, you know, in the 80s, oh, yeah. in the West End of Newcastle. Yeah. You know, there was they were, they, were, they were building the plantations, the plant pots in the streets, and they, they took them all out now. You know, you've got them in the top of the streets somewhere. Am I right in thinking that the Biker World Project was an example of regeneration East End? It was, yeah. It was, yeah. And you think the West End deserves more of that kind of, um, kind of examples in a way? You need, listen, you need pride in the environment. You walk outside and if you see, you know, rats running around and piles of rubbish, how are you going to respect that? Yeah, exactly. You're not. You know, you're only going to add to it. You know, so you, you'll see people walk along, there's rubbish lying on the floor, you'll drop rubbish on top of it because it's there. It, it takes the responsibility away from them. Yeah. You know, spend it on the deprived areas, bring those up, make those more livable. That'll create a bit of positivity. Yeah. You know, it'll give people something worthwhile when they look out their windows mm. to say, yes, we can get through this. We will work through this. Look where I live. It's a nice area. And I'm quite happy to take my kids outside here rather than have to travel further apart. That's right. That's right. You know? A uh, word you mentioned before is one of my favourite words, grassroots. So, I mean, that's one of the consistent things. One of the c good consistent things out there in lockdown is a grassroots project that goes around to make sure that our fellow people within our community are, are all right. Um, is there anything you can further extend on that? What, what more examples of grassroots things do you think deserves more highlighting, which can save, you know, help with those solutions go through, as you mentioned before? I think there's a number of organisations who are doing it, but they're small organisations. So we'll hear of these, you know, Good Samaritan stories. They need to be a lot bigger, you know, and, and in a sense, once you break it down, the communities, whichever they are, they can be the... You know, Eastern European communities, the Asian communities, everything, they're not addressing this. You know, they're, they're, they're actually shutting their doors rather than opening them up. And, and as you can see with a lot of community projects, they, they have a great idea, but not many people access them. So you have a meeting of, you know, local councillors, well, about 10 people turn up. That's not your community. What they're missing, I'll tell you what they're missing, they don't believe it. They don't have a belief in it. They've been downtrodden for so long. After years of neglect, it has yeah. that effect on you. They've been downtrodden for so long yeah. that, you know, you'll get some, you know, some councillors come up and have a photo opportunity and say, oh, look, we're doing this. But look how many people are there. We had that recently, actually, when we had government officials go and take selfies at food banks that just to look good on social media. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I know. But it's, but not, it's not just food banks, is it? It's, I mean, things like clearing litter from your local park and... And so, as I, as I said before, so kids can feel proud and and feel confident going out and meeting their friends outside. They, they do a lot of that, don't they, in the Windgrove um, yeah. ward. They, they, There's they a patchwork project in Federal, yeah. And I know it was Anne, one of, our, one of my favourite councillors, Anne Schofield, she be constantly going round it. And the one who passed away. Nigel Todd, yeah. yes. The beloved West End councillor, yeah, he was yeah. really good, yeah. Loved by many. Yeah, yeah. You know, a real passionate guy. He knew what community should look like. He knew the help that it needed. You know, and if he'd have still been with us today, he would have still been going, marching on and doing it, you know. I mean, things like food banks and mutual aid groups, I guess what they're trying to do is fill in the, the voids that's been left by the neglect, is what we're talking about. But proper grassroots also means other things to build upon. Yeah. Not just to to fix it, but build and sort of to make sure that such problems don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So what what other things can we build and what what do you think? I mean not just sort of regeneration. I know around Scotswood there's a lot of housing stuff built there, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's sort of like because there's there's a danger of with something like regeneration, you're you kind of like putting so shifting the social problems to somewhere else. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's always that danger, isn't it? There is. I think going back to the old models, isn't it? Having little community centres, youth yeah. clubs, all of them. But in a sense, where where a community can meet yeah. and you can see the diversity of the community and engage in the diversity of that yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it gives it, it and it builds trust. You know, they they weren't lying. You know, like when people used to turn around and say, "I could go out all day and my front doors open." It was. This was in the seventies. How many youth projects and youth centres can you remember from back in the day? I, I mean, don't. There was not that many, not actually. That many. Um, no, I mean, there was Grange Park. They had the boxing club. And, and they I remember a, in the 80s, there was like a couple in places like Simonside in the Outer no, no, West, no. which I there used was, to remember. There no, was, there was lots all around Western in different Hope, areas. Yeah. But when you were grown up, you stuck to your area. So we stuck to the West End. But yeah. I know when austerity came along and cut to the community, a lot of them kind of went, didn't they? Yeah, but so. the thing was... That they, they were the ones that were affected straight away. You know, and the question has to be asked yeah. why, when the cuts come, is it the poor that suffer? Yeah, well, that's the question. That's yeah. You know. One of my favourite buildings at West End is the um, West End Library on the bottom of Condacombe Road. Mm. And what I noticed, I don't know if I've told you this before, I'm here, but um, often when I'd leave work, so I'd walk up Condacombe on towards the West Road. But when I used to peer through the windows of the library, you'd often see a lot of families with kids using a lot of the computers, the, the Xboxes and stuff, because you know that was, their, that was their way to go, because maybe they didn't have, afford to have such luxuries back in the house. Then, when yeah. austerity got heavier, and they had to cut back on library staff, and the, the library was only open like two, three days a week, uh, my first port of call was, of course, not just those that yeah, they laid off yeah. but those families who didn't have such technology to depend on and how much did we depend on technology during lockdown as well so well it's I mean that's the Riverside project now isn't yeah. it and they're doing really well they yeah. do a lot for women's groups and, and, and bon, Anne Bonner runs that you yeah. Know Bonner. yeah she's great actually I met her a few times and um, they do a great job there and I mean we, we need do you know we've got we've got uh, action for children down there on Adelaide yeah. Terrace we've got we've got uh, Children Northeast here. We have, yeah. All who've been previous guests on the show, yeah. All of them around here. You know, look how many we've got. But in a sense, nobody asks the question why. We've got the British Red Cross as well. That's right. You're right, though. It's loads of like. They're all here. Yeah. It's symbolic of what actually We've got the busiest food bank in the country here. Yeah. It's these claims, you know, it needs to be looked at why are they here? Is it cheap rents? Might be that. You know, it could be another. But, you know, this is where they are based, but what difference are they making to the community? Nationally, these charities are amazing. You know, don't it? And, and there's a need, so it needs like grassroots help. It needs. Why am projects. I? Why am I doing mentally sound from the West End? Yeah. In a way, that's yeah. another thing. Yeah. 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 We need it from the bottom up, not from the top down. Yeah. And this is what they're trying to do. You know, they're trying to throw money from the top down. By the time it's seen here, we don't see much of it. It's mostly gone. You know, and. What people forget, and I say this to the people is, you know, we're getting told to suffer, but all these council people, these politicians, they're public servants. We pay for them out of our taxes. And not only us to have those groups there to fix it, but also the fact if we build on top actually stops us from being complacent as well. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, makes sense when you think about it that way, doesn't yeah. it? So. Um, maybe we've just got a few minutes left. That's been a really enjoyable discussion. I just thought... Last few minutes, I want to build up a little bit upon your um, expertise a little bit more. For people out there who are a little bit unsure about 2022, and um, given that you're kind of a, a man of wisdom, well, I'd like to think so anyway, <laughs> but 
But what sort of tips and advice would you have for people out there who are kind of like looking at the next few months thinking, you know, we've got the cost of living crisis, we've got, you know, this the hysteria from the government and I'm just not sure how to approach the next few months. If you, if that person was sitting across from you right now, what would you sort of advise them sort of directly in that place? Talk to other people. Talk to the professionals. You know, there's... There, there seems to be a divide between seeking help, but the thing is, that's what those organisations are there for. You know, it might seem that you feel so helpless that you can't talk about things. There's no, the, actually, that's what specific organisations are. Access it. It's there for you. In all honesty, and they will help. We help people every day. And it's a sign of strength to step forward and get that help now it is it, yeah. of course it is now it is whereas before it was do you think we've gone beyond the stigma of that scene being as a sign of weakness which a lot of people kind of felt it was do you know what Ricky I'd like to think we have but I mean we've just had time to talk to you a few weeks a few days ago and that's been one of their overbearing messages to talk have a cup of tea talk about issues um, talking about it helps unearth the kind of because you know we mentioned those groups out there in the West End before I started the show, I wasn't aware of a lot of them groups. Yeah. It was through the research of you know mm -hmm. creating these radio shows, I yeah. was like, wow, are these guys really here? Yeah. yeah, let's talk to them. Let's signpost people there, man. Yeah. You know, let's do that. So yeah. that's your kind of what that's what you're advocating as well in this in this case. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Access it. It's there for you. Help is there. Whenever you feel helpless, there is help there, one hundred percent. You know, just take that step to accessing it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to suffer alone. You know. I think with things like finances, things like citizens' advice are quite out there as well, doing that kind of thing. And um, Have you worked with such groups like that? Yeah, yeah of course. I'm, I'm actually currently just going on the board for Road to Recovery. Uh, I'm one of the board members there. And one of the guys who work with, and you'll actually know him, is Graham Brewis, who yes, runs Clean Straight. He's been a guest before, yeah. Yeah, and he's. Uh, I was talking to him the other day. He, he advocates all this type of help as well. Yep. I believe it's Clean Slate are on Facebook as well, and you yep. can... You can get some money-saving tips on that. Yeah, yeah, well, if you listen to a podcast he did with us last year, he gives advice on that. He's well. great, yeah. 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 What about regarding sort of um, well-being um, advice from your point of view? Sort of like, particularly, I guess, those who are by themselves, who can't rely on other people to do that. So anything along the lines of meditation or um, getting out there, you know, making use of outdoors, or even people who can't, for whatever circumstances they are, they can't get outdoors much as well. Well, that's that's the question, aren't they? I mean, you know, you said if they're if if they're alone, then if they have access to going outdoors, then they're not really alone. You know, they can get out there yeah, and exit. Good point. But the ones that are stuck at home, you know, they 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 can access services online. There's a number of things. You know, there's a number of apps for mindfulness breathing techniques, which are absolutely amazing. The the problem that people find sometimes is when they're overwhelmed psychologically, when they're wrapped in depression. You know in deep deep depression they don't see how that would work but yeah. I can assure you it works yeah. you know just take a little bit of time to yourself and what that does it will give you a break from everything that's going on especially in the mornings give yourself 10 minutes 15 minutes breathing exercises get them on YouTube yeah. you know listen to them 10-15 minutes I can guarantee it will set you up for the day yeah. you're very right on that because when I do my running I always make sure that's at the beginning of the day and the reason why, theoretically, I'll tell you why, and I wonder if you agree with me, because my anxiety is at its most heaviest in the morning. I know we've talked about 
morning anxiety before. But I feel that if I've achieved a decent run in the morning, I feel like I've already achieved something like quite major. So it sets me up for the rest of the day. So in a way, what lays ahead of me in the next few hours shouldn't be as big as it should be, daunting-wise, because, hey, I've just done a, a decent run, I feel, and I feel quite good about it, so... Yeah, but that's gratitude, isn't it? Is that how you define it, gratitude? You well, define self- gratitude that you were able to go for a self- run. you mean self-gratitude? Yeah, any form of gratitude. Any form of gratitude is positive. Yeah. So you've gone for a run, be grateful that you were able to go for a oh, run yeah, because yeah. it sets you up for the day. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And last word on this, because um, um, it's something that I've wondered about as well, and of course it relates to the whole New Year thing and resolutions and people talk about you know going to the gym but um, what are the gyms like now in terms of let's say I'm you know person A and I've got some serious issues regarding let's say more my mental well-being than physical well-being I go to a gym um, I meet a personal trainer and I say to that person I'm really interested in joining I want to be committed um, do you have certain tips that that will really aid my mental well-being. We know what the physical benefits of them. We've been talking about them for years and generations. But do you have specific courses, ideas that that you know that will help me on my on a mental well-being basis? The physical is actually going to help you mental. Works both ways. It works. One one works alongside the other because you know as we release certain chemicals. As we see with mental and physical health, you know, it's got to be intertwined. You know, they they they're one one the same. And uh, as you know yourself, like you said, the mental and the physical, you have psychosomatic presentations yeah. when a person's mental health gets overwhelmed and they yeah. get physical pain. Yeah. So the same goes with training and that as well. The best advice I can give for training is don't ever start training next Monday. Start every other day because that Monday is never going to come. Yeah. Good, Good approach, yeah. Because I'm wondering that, you know, um, I don't know if this is a stereotype, but when, when, when gyms used to be talked about in previous generations, people said, oh, well, I want to look good for the summer, and all that sort of thing. But I feel more people are signing up now because because it helps with their mental aspects as well. And I think it's good. It's only a good thing that that message has been, has been cut across to people now, wouldn't you say? There's a lot more emphasis on health now, isn't there? It's, it's, it's all down to the internet. You know, we've, we've got so much access to information and our well-being. Yeah. You know, even a person who is at times feeling really alone, living on their own, everything, can access all this information from the comfort of their own house. You know, sitting on their couch and access this. So it's the connections, buying the information, doing the research. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed with research. But, you know, being honest, just keep yourself fit and healthy. When you go for a run, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And that is it. What more do you want? Good note to end on. I mean, it's been a pleasure seeing you again. Uh, happy belated 2022 thank you very much and uh, hope you're well listeners as I say we're not out of the woods yet things are looking a little bit better but we can't take it for granted but yeah as I'm here advocates let's make use of our outdoor stay safe I still wear my mask in crowded places because I think it's only sensible but we are pro-choice we understand where you stand on a personal level look after yourselves look after your community but more importantly look after your mental health and uh, if you listen to us on Spice FM, stay tuned for the next show. But in the meantime, catch us again next week. Thank you, Amir. Take care. Thank, Thank you. Everyone. Thanks, Ricky. Bye-bye.